0: Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Pixis, the PTSA experts. Nation, I have been using PTSA for years. And as you know, when you use PTSA, you have to use a meter that you can depend on. Well, right out of the box, I use my Pixis meter And I found it was superior to other meters that I have tried at a price that made it easy for me to outfit everybody within my company with a Pixis meter. Now, when you measure PTSA, you need to make sure that you are accurate so you do not underfeed or overfeed. Pixis meters compensate for turbidity and color, ensuring that you get the most accurate results. Pixis offers top-of-the-line handheld and inline sensors, as well as tracer products and calibration standard solutions. Visit Pixis today by going to ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash Pixis, that's P-Y-X-I-S. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore. I get to host this awesome podcast. And Nation, thank you so much for all of you out there that attended the Association of Water Technologies Convention just a few short weeks ago that came up to me. And let me know that you listen to this little podcast that we put on every single week. And I'm still behind the same desk that I started with. Uh, My microphone and my equipment's changed a little bit. Of course, we have a staff now. So I say little. I'm amazed at how much this podcast has grown. I'm amazed that we're in 92 countries with thousands of listeners multiples of thousands, over 10,000. It it just blows my mind that the Scaling Up Nation is becoming just such an incredible force. And it's all driven by the fact that we all care about this industry, that we want to learn more about about this profession, this craft that we do each and every day, how we do it better, how we learn more, how we contribute back to the industry. It is so exciting to see this now four-year journey that we've all been on together. And when you come up to me and let me know that you listen to this show That you got a favorite episode, or there was a certain episode that challenged you to do something. There was somebody that I was eating lunch with. They were at the table and they said, Do you mind if I tell you a story? And I said, Absolutely. And they shared with me that one of the episodes, and I apologize, I can't remember the episode that you mentioned, but the episode that they were listening to kind of aggravated them. They got a little angry because I was saying what they were doing wasn't enough. And they were thinking, well, that's how we do it. Who are you to say it's not enough? And again, I can't remember the exact episode, but they started thinking about that. And then they started thinking about all the little things that they could do that didn't cost them anything, that maybe they substituted task A for task B, so it didn't even cost them any more time. And not only did that account get better, they started enjoying going to that account. The reason that the episode upset them was because they were burned out at that account. And who wants to put more effort in when you don't feel appreciated? When you feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again? Well, because they started getting more information or different information, they were able to have different conversations with their customer. And because these conversations were different, and also because their attitude was different, the customer then started taking recommendations that they had been giving them all along. Now, they gave me credit for that podcast, for all of that happening, but I give that credit directly back to them because if you do not have the drive to make what you're doing each and every day better, to learn from what you're doing today, to make tomorrow better, then it doesn't matter what's out there. You're the driving force. So thank you so much for sharing that story with me. And of course, dozens of other people came up to me. I got some show ideas got to meet a lot of people i didn't know got to see a lot of people i do know and it was just a fantastic week in providence rhode island now one of the people that i got to see in providence rhode island is definitely a friend to the scaling up h2o podcast he's a friend to the water treatment industry here's the next james's challenge Hello Scaling Up Nation! The next James' challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop-by-drop, is… Using proper safety precautions while sampling, run boiler water tests on a sample
1: collected with a sample cooler and an uncooled sample for the same boiler. How does the temperature of the boiler water sample impact test results? What changes may
0: occur with water chemistry and why? How much water flashes off from the hot sample? What are the temperature limitations of your testing equipment and reagents? Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Nation, one of the things that James and I did while we were at the Association of Water Technologies Convention is we were able to sit down and figure out what we are going to do to continue our collaboration next year. So stay tuned for that. I love all the things that the podcast is doing with James McDonald. And speaking of that, just a few short weeks ago, we celebrated our fourth annual industrial water week. Nation, this was the most celebrated industrial water week in history. Now, James says it takes about four to five years for a holiday to really catch on. And and I think he really knows what he's talking about because there were so many posts to social media this year. We had some last year, We had a few the year before, we had very few the first year it came out, but so many people are getting behind celebrating this amazing profession that we are all in. I know I'm speaking to a bunch of listeners that participated in celebrating Industrial Water Week. You shared pictures with us. I love seeing that. Tell you what, that helps me more than anything to know that I'm not alone out there. So many times we're driving from account to account and just knowing that there are other people out there, that I'm part of a community, a community called the Scaling Up Nation, that just makes me feel better. That not only do I have a network where I can meet people and ask them questions, I know that other people are experiencing the same things that I am experiencing. Speaking of networking, we have another hang coming up. Our next hang is going to be on November 11th at 6 p.m. That's Eastern time. And you can register for that by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. Now, this is going to be the last hang that we do this year. And the hang was started because we were not able to get together in person. We weren't able to see the people we usually see at an AWT convention or another event because in 2020, that just wasn't happening. Well, since that time, The Hang has been so popular for people to get together, to meet people they haven't met before that know something about a topic that they have a question about. It has just been wildly successful in doing that and also fun for me To facilitate. So, we're going to continue the hang. So, if you want to be involved, and why wouldn't you want to be involved? It's totally free. We're talking about water treatment. We're having fun. That's going to be November 11th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. Well, Nation, with everything going on, it is hard for a water treater to go to work and not have something else added. To their plate. There's always something else to do. There's always something else new to learn. And there's only so many hours in the day. On today's interview, we're going to talk about some potential solutions to get you some hours back in the day. My lab partner today is returning guest, Laith Charles of Watermark. And that's different from the last time we spoke in episode 62 back in November 20th of 2018. Leith, how
1: are you? I'm pretty good, Trace. Thanks for having me on. How about yourself? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for asking that question. Always good to have you on the podcast. I think you've been on in some other fashions. Maybe we didn't do an entire episode, but I'm pretty sure you've been either calling in and asking questions or giving advice. I know you've been on the show more than just once.
1: Yeah, if I recall, during a technical training one time, you had your little handheld setup. You asked me a question there. And I know I've done a couple of those recorded voicemails that you can leave on the website. So big fan of the show. Like what you're doing. Glad I can contribute.
0: Well, I appreciate all that you contribute. I know you and I have collaborated on a couple of episodes behind the scenes, and you've given me some great advice on how to better explain a topic or or what to delve into when there's so many areas you can cover in a topic. And by you calling in and asking questions and contributing that way, that helps me so much. Those are my favorite episodes when I can answer questions from the audience. Uh, it feels like I'm engaging right. So, anyway, I can talk the entire episode about that. But thank you and all the others out there in the Scaling Up Nation that do that. But let's get back to you. Last time I introduced you, you were with Pulse Feeder. What's going on?
1: So, still close with the Pulse Feeder guys. I, I went over my history a little bit in our last podcast. At the time when you interviewed me, I was the Pacific Northwest regional manager a direct employee of Pulse Feeder. And since that point, unfortunately, the predecessor to me, previous owner of Watermark, Peter Auchincloss, passed away abruptly in his early 50s. So after some time, I eventually bought the company out from from his wife. So uh, Watermark has been a manufacturer's representative for Pulse Feeder for a long time. Um, and they have a few other lines that they represent, all kind of synergistic water treatment equipment. So I still have Pulse feeder in the fold as the brand that I rep for chemical feed pumps, controllers, um, systems. And then as a rep, I'm able to kind of bring other lines into the fold that don't conflict. So I do have Peabody for their tanks and their secondary containment stuff. I've got Harmsco for filtration. Uh, vector for some Bypass Feeders and Brominators, and a few other smaller lines. Um, just trying to really bring a complete package so I can check more boxes and do a little bit more uh, packaged you know, solutions for the water treaters.
0: Well, I have to say that being a business owner really
1: suits you. I appreciate that. It's uh, drinking from a fire hose. I don't think it's a secret that I'm relatively young but uh yeah I just like the the unique challenges and and honestly I know we're getting into this later but uh, your mastermind group couldn't have come at a better time for me because I was a little shy of probably a year into managing watermark and uh, I think it's really important as a small business to try and get outside perspective on what you're doing um, so i I was literally exploring getting like business consultants and uh, trying to vet that out but As I'm sure you're aware, the whole water treatment industry as a whole is a little alien to most. So being able to talk to people who already know the industry um, has been awesome, and they've been managing their own businesses successfully for quite some time. So uh, I'm able to get insight from people who are much smarter and more experienced than me. So thanks for putting that together. I know you didn't do it for me, but I've benefited from it.
0: Well, I've benefited from it. It has been amazing, the different topics that come on during our calls, uh, especially how vulnerable people are and, and how they are really sharing the right issue. Normally, the more vulnerable it is, the more right the issue is that we need to talk about it and the advice that people give. Is that specifically what you were looking for when you were thinking, I'm a new business owner? I need to surround myself with people that I can ask questions to, that I can give advice to, but I can learn from in the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, you you kind of put together a little dream team. I can't remember if you told me these are the people that are going to be a part of the group, but a lot of the members at the time I hadn't met personally, I didn't have a good relationship with. I kind of knew of them from afar, so it was a great way to get to know them on a more personal level, and just get to mine information from them. And I, I guess I've got a little different perspective. I know from your intro videos, you're, the goal coming into these meetings is to come with a full cup, and you want to pour into other people's cups. So I've tried channeling that throughout the whole you know, time that I've done this. It's going on almost two years now. Is that accurate? You're getting ready to go into your third year, I think. Oh my gosh, time has flown. So I've tried channeling the come with a full cup and contribute what you can. So I I always try and bring and I joke about it in the group that like millennial perspective because I know a lot of the members of the group are you know dealing with employees who are millennials and they've got different mindsets and understanding what motivates them. And then obviously I've got a little bit more of an equipment bias with all the ways I tackle problems and uh, I like leaning on technology a lot, which I guess isn't the prevailing mindset. But I try and bring that perspective to the group, which I hope adds value. So, Leigh, we just discovered it's almost
0: three years. We're getting ready to go into our third year. Why do you keep coming back each and every week?
1: I mean, yeah, at this point, I've got a good camaraderie with the group. I could probably not be a member of the group and easily call these members and they would answer it—you know at off hours because the bond is that strong. But... I mean, there's always new topics to discuss. We're in a dynamic landscape, right? Business practices need to change kind of on the day-to-day since COVID kind of reared its head. So going through what other businesses are doing and how they're handling and responding to COVID was a big topic that we we had to discuss, and that was new and different. It, it kind of continues to evolve. Now it's more shifting towards the supply chain crisis, right? And how do we combat that? So there's always new topics to discuss, and I guess the other thing that just keeps getting stronger is just that relationship. At this point, those group members, I see them every week on a, on a call, and we just continue to nurture that that bond. And as that bond gets stronger, I think the group overall, you know, we're more open with each other, and we just have an understanding. We we know the problem that that specific person solved like a year ago, and that. Nugget is another piece of information we can use to kind of continue to help one another. It just builds. A couple of
0: months ago, we all experienced the Mastermind live event together. How would you
1: explain that experience to our audience? The live event was, for me, just like long overdue. There were some members of the group that I just haven't met in person. I've seen them face to, well, virtually face to face. I've heard about some of their intimate issues, whether it's personal whether it's business-related, but there's just something about meeting someone face-to-face from a connection side. Um, I go back to that bond thing. It was really able to forge stronger, stronger bonds, and we kind of got to a new level of vulnerability. Some of the uh, exercises that you had, Trace, were, were very, very good. That timeline of the highs and lows in your life, that was just a way to be a completely open book, and you set the tone for that perfectly. And that just allowed us to get to know each other better. Because it's one thing saying, you know, this is the issue I'm dealing with right now. And that's predominantly, you know, in the in the middle section of the mastermind group. That's what we typically do along with kind of the books that we do in parallel to that. But the highs and lows kind of gives you more of that background. Like, why is this person reserved about doing this or doing that? The backstory kind of helps you understand what makes them tick behind the scene. At least it did for me. And you realize that you've been through some pretty bad lows. Other people have been through some pretty bad lows. And you just, you feel for that person more. I love my group too. It's a greatly curated group.
0: Our keynote speaker was the COO of Chick-fil-A.
1: What did you learn from that? How to climb a ladder or how not to climb a (laughs) ladder maybe? (laughs) No, his speech was specifically on from getting here to there. It's like this is where you are. This is where you want to go, and it was all about the how to get there. It's a well done presentation because as a presenter, you've only got a finite amount of time. Yeah, you could get into a lot of technical details. You could tell, and specifically, like the ins and out of Chick Fil A uh, would be his insight that he could give to us. But uh, he was trying to arm us with with a nugget to help steer or influence our perspective going forward. And, you know, he gave us a little free uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich coupon, too. So he's like, yes, I want you to go buy chicken sandwiches. But also the next time you go and buy a chicken sandwich, I want you to think about how you're progressing from from here to there. Yeah, the ladder and the visual that he gave us, he, he had this massive ladder in the room. And he's like, all right, let's try and stand this ladder up in the middle of the room. I'm at the bottom of the ladder or here. And where I want to go is at the top of this ladder. How do I get there? and a free-floating ladder in the middle of the room, not rested up against the wall. So he got the, the groups involved, and they were bracing the ladder, and everyone thought he was going to climb it. And it's like, oh, my God, this is a bad idea. Like, <laughs> I didn't know if he had a secret like circus background where he's able to just like climb ladders freestanding. But that visual element kind of helped solidify the message.
0: Yeah, so some backstory on that. When Cliff and I met, Cliff Robinson is who we're talking of Chick-fil-A, he said... Trace, you're going to be nervous, but I promise you, I've done this before, and I've never fallen, and I will not fall during your events. I was like, okay, if that's the deal, I'm going to hold you to it, but great visual. You're right. And then he stayed for over an hour answering all of our questions about Chick-fil-A and I know listeners are thinking, okay, what questions can you ask about Chick-fil-A? But they were so insightful and business-driven, and how do we take what Chick-fil-A does and bring that to our customers? I was just blown away by the questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a secret, right? There's a lot of fast food chains out there, and I think most businesses are trying to look at who's doing things differently, who's shaking up certain market spaces. Um, Chick-fil-A, from a branding side, has always been very strong their drive-throughs literally cause traffic jams, right? Their chicken sandwiches are that good. And some of the logistics that he explained about, we physically cannot store enough food in our store to feed the volume in a single day. Like the delivery trucks coming in super late, packing that facility to its maximum capacity and then still not having enough food to feed just that demand. And it's interesting, the the whole logistics. I mean, I'm an engineer, so I always look at things like, what was the process behind that? Um, so from an industrial engineering stance, looking at the throughput and the managing of that drive-through, I mean, I don't know what they're like in uh, Atlanta, but the drive-through is by me in Maryland. You know, you've got the roof, you've got the heaters, you've got the fans with the misters, because you get the hot and the cold, right? So in wintertime, those guys walking around with the tablets, you <laughs> They don't want to freeze, right? That they're there for a full working shift. So, uh, yeah, they've they've revolutionized that drive-through. It's just interesting to see uh, how that business is managed and what allowed them to disrupt the market space to the extent that they have, because everyone's kind of copying it.
0: Yeah, and I remember one of the questions that was asked was they pretty much reinvented their store when everybody was dealing with how to deal with COVID. And one of the questions was, how did you pivot so quickly? And he said, well, that didn't happen overnight. We've been working on that for years. You know, how do we redefine the drive-through? How do we get people to place their orders sooner so we have more time to prepare it instead of just the time you got up to the speaker to the window? And it was all these things that they've been working on for innovation that they were able to put into play probably a little quicker than they had planned. But because they were planning to innovate, they were able to pivot before everybody else in that market. And as you mentioned, other people were copying what they
1: did. Yeah, I think the example or the question was phrased like, hey, a new Chick-fil-A got built just down the road from me, or it it actually got redesigned, tore it down. I think it stayed open to an extent um but then they overhauled the store and the takeaway was i noticed that the seating area got smaller and it was you know the building has to be this big this is the lot that it's on our drive through traffic and storing the food is is so high and that's such a good revenue stream for us and people sitting in the store is actually you know less profitable right they're they're in there um you've got staff visiting the table refilling drinks so it's it's interesting things you don't really think about you just take for granted but uh, applicable business fundamentals to help you figure out well how do i apply that to what i do i've got several friends that are operators for
0: chick-fil-a and they're all about metrics they know how long drive through takes they know how long when somebody comes in and just because i know these numbers for for this particular store he was sharing with me 7 minutes is the average from when you place your order to when you drive off with your order and it's 50 minutes from when somebody comes in the restaurant and eats and then leaves the restaurant. So if you can imagine the the difference and and how many more people they can serve via drive through instead of coming into the restaurant, but the line that they walk is Chick-fil-A is all about community. And they want to make sure they always have that place where community can come into the restaurant. They can meet they can do business they can rejuvenate they can do anything that they need to so they're they're very cautious to say we're just going to do drive through we're going to put all of our attention on drive through and there has to be a very good reason there's a store In downtown Atlanta, that just didn't get any inside traffic. It was all drive-through. So when they rebuilt it, it's got four drive-through lanes. So it's a a restaurant with just four drive-through lanes, and they've got uh, tubes and things that will deliver your food. I've never been delivered by a tube. It's always been somebody walking it out to me, but they really think those things out. And I'm pretty sure we can talk this whole episode around chick-fil-A, but I want to I bring some other topics uh, to mind. The other thing I wanted to bring up is recently, we just had the AWT convention. So I wanted to ask you, what was your experience like at AWT?
1: Well, most of the mastermind members are also attendees. A lot of them are ex awt presidents to be honest it was kind of like we did our mastermind in person and then i got to see a lot of the same people at the awt so obviously providence rhode island i hadn't been there before i go to any awt event i can and yeah i think people always ask me like oh did you get much business did you earn a new customer did you do this like awt for me is is just about the people i think we've got a pretty unique industry this whole like camaraderie with your basically competitors is uh, i think rare and uh yeah for me it's just about going catching up with people having some good memories i think everyone usually ends up at some bar late near the hotel and they just they then have a story to tell about that and um yeah obviously the presentations this year i mean there were some prevailing trends that i wanted to, to uh attend so tag polymers were a big one this year. I know you spoke out on tag polymers, but it was a whole track. I think there were three running concurrently. There were some wastewater presentations that I wanted to see because candidly, I don't really know much about wastewater. I'm not a chemist by trade, and that's the, that's probably one thing that kind of like holds me back a little bit. So um yeah, I'm reading a lot of chemistry related books now. There's this overlap, right? I mean, I'm I come at things from this is the equipment, right? I know that this pump can output a water-like fluid at this rate. Okay, you've got some back pressure. Okay, this has got a higher viscosity. Oh, uh, this is an off-gassing product. Like how do we handle that on the equipment side? What kind of control measures do we need to implement? So understanding that chemistry and just being able to go somewhere and share knowledge is critical to just better the industry overall. So it's a great hub for that. And I tried to uh give my take on it as well, because I presented out on uh, IoT augmented water treatment, because I think there's a lot being left on the table and a lot of technology being underutilized. So it's my attempt at kind of exhibiting a market push on the industry to say, hey, maybe there's a different way worth considering. That's eventually what we're going to talk
0: about, the IoT, your presentation that you did, but... Something else happened at the AWT convention. I'm not sure all the members of the Scaling Up Nation know, but you were recognized with an award, and it's the first time this award has ever been given. It's called the Rising Star Award, and I believe the AWT board has had this award available for the last three to five years, and they were looking for the right person to give it to. The Rising Star Award recognizes the contributions and efforts of the next generation of water treatment professionals. The nominee will possess a demonstrated passion for their work in the water treatment industry field and will have contributed to the advancement of the AWT mission. And you were named the first recipient of the Rising Star Award. Congratulations.
1: Thanks, Trace. It was an honor. They, they kind of call you ahead of time to make sure, like, are you going to be at the awards ceremony? I'm like, should I be at the awards ceremony? Yes, you should. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they made me aware of it ahead of time. And it's kind of like hush hush. I've always enjoyed contributing to the AWT community. I wasn't even aware of the award until I got the phone call saying, you're receiving this award. But, you know, I, as you know, I've been on the technical training side of things, contributing to the hands-on section. I've published a few articles in The Analyst, presented out a couple times at AVT I used to be with the young professionals, and uh, more recently, I help out with the education committee. So I don't know who submitted my name. I think you have to be nominated, but I guess someone liked what i was doing and and felt that i deserved some kind of acknowledgement i mean it's great to be honored D- don't get me wrong it's it's a privilege to be the first recipient but uh it's a privilege to just contribute to be, to be frank it's uh i i enjoy it and i carve out the time because it it adds value to my life
0: well again congratulations it's a very high honor and I was so proud when you stood up as that recipient, and I think you noticed all your fellow Mastermind members, they were the first to get out of their chairs
1: and give you a standing ovation. Yeah, the support, the camaraderie from from the Mastermind group, I think the whole table was basically uh, Masterminders at that, that awards dinner. I've never been to an awards dinner, too, before. That event was just great. The, the stage was nice, um, and then afterwards, that whole fire show and, and, and the dinner was memorable. So night couldn't have gone better.
0: Yeah. And I'm not even sure how to describe the fire on water show. Uh, hopefully, AWT will put something in the analyst, maybe some pictures or something. I don't even think we can try. I don't think we can do that justice.
1: <laughs> but it was interesting.
0: It definitely was interesting. You mentioned the paper that you presented on the Internet of Things, and that's where we're going to shift gears to now and talk about that. And I have to say, Lay, the most awesome thing that I saw at any presentation was how you handled how you were coming after a presentation entitled, Weed in the Workplace. And an attorney was telling everybody, okay, well, how do you have to change your HR rules? What do you need to look at? What if it's legal in your state? What if it's not legal in your state? And then you brought snacks just in case anybody had the munchies after that presentation, and you handed them out before you spoke. That was amazing.
1: Yeah, as soon as I saw where I was, so I was uh, 4.30 on a Friday, and I was like, oh, attendance is probably going to be a little rough, right? Last presentation of the day, I think you were in a similar shift a couple days before me. I was like, well, it's going to be late in the day. People are going to be hungry, and I can't pass up the opportunity for the the joke being after, yeah, weed in the workplace. So yeah, I brought some chips. I had to represent Utz chips, because in Maryland, that's like a thing. So as soon as I managed to get a hold of them, they were getting passed out.
0: Yeah, fun fact. A lot of people know Aqua Phoenix. They're a supporter of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. They are right next door to Utz potato chips. Well, let's talk about your presentation. You use the term the Internet of Things. What does that term even mean?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a buzzword. People throw it around a lot nowadays, I define internet of things, I mean, something connected to the internet, right? I mean, it's a a way of just shifting the words around a little bit, but um, anything that can connect to what's called like the spine. Technically, anyone can set up an internet in their house. Like I've got my own intranet within my household, right? But if I go to a browser and I'm trying to search for something, it pulls the spine and I get information from this massive network of interconnected devices. So anything on that, whether it's a printer, whether it's an actual computer, whether it's a tiny little motion sensor, whether it's a cooling tower controller, if it's networked, if it's online capable, I define that as the Internet of Things. And and that's growing further because like cell phones, if I'm doing like, let's say, or maybe it's a tablet, if I'm doing my service reports and I'm using some kind of cloud software to do that, pulling up my phone, typing in things admitting that it's using the internet. It might be some cloud-based software. I would lump in all of those software as a solution platforms as a thing on the internet. So kind of in this big bubble, if you will.
0: How would you say that technology is being utilized in today's marketplace, in the water treatment community?
1: Not enough, hence the presentation. (laughs) Underutilized is the word I would use. So I've got this very unique view on water treatment i get to go into all of my local water treatment companies and some other market verticals but for industrial water treatment i kind of get to see how all of these companies run their day-to-day business what they do what they don't do and honestly in today's day and age every time i go in i'll always get the question hey do you know anyone looking for a job You know, we have got companies that are so strapped for resources, and the hiring market's never been as tough as it is today. And everyone's mentality is, I need more people. And I don't disagree. They probably do need more people. But you've got a problem. I would argue that there's more than one way to solve it. And this is kind of referencing one of our mastermind books, right? The Procrastinate on Purpose, that uh, focus funnel. I don't know if you can throw a visual of that focus funnel into the show notes page, but... I will make sure that happens. <laughs> well, that funnel in a nutshell kind of describes the ways in which you would make your business run more efficiently. And that's that's one of the references that kind of plays nicely into my presentation is the whole funnel is based on, you know, eliminating things that are unnecessary, delegating what you can, automating anything you can. And then if it finally makes its way down to the bottom of the funnel, and I might've gotten the orders a little jumbled up, you do you decide if this needs to be done now. In which case you focus on it, you concentrate on it, or if it can be done later, in which case you pop it back up to the top of that focus funnel and uh, you procrastinate. Procrastinating on purpose, right? That's what the book got its name. So, you know, if I just look at that fundamentally, this whole IoT piece really leans into that automate section. And I think it's probably the most underutilized section of the focus funnel in our market. So I know if someone's like using, you mentioned Aqua Phoenix, if someone's using these service reports for doing their uh, service routine, I'm sure it's completely automated, but there are aspects of that service report that have been automated. You're still doing your tests, right? You're still doing your job. It's just, you punch it into one box, it gets stored, it gets put into a report, it gets emailed out to that customer. Things are being done and you're not double entering things, right? So, so there's value there and people see that Um, But it seems like a lot of people will kind of stop there. And nowadays, it's just so easy to get two different softwares to kind of talk. And then you can have some logic around those two different softwares when they're talking. And there's more devices that you can connect to the internet. And then you can record more data points. These data points aren't necessarily... And I think the fear is, and this is what I tried to make abundantly clear in the presentation, I think the, the fear was that, well, I don't want a piece of equipment replacing me that's this fear that, well, if this is networked, I'm not going to go to the site anymore. And I'm going to be on a beach somewhere doing my field service reports from there. Like, I don't see that happening anytime in the near future, hopefully never. But the amount of times that I get a phone call saying, hey, uh, I turned up and, you know, I've been in connectivity high alarm for weeks, and in flow switch alarm, uh, some issue occurred and you weren't aware of it going into it, you turn up completely blindsided by a system upset that's been prevailing for a while. And if that controller's online, you you get an email. As soon as that system upset occurs, you can get information from that unit and then pivot and make a decision based on that. So it's not replacing you, it's merely a shoulder tap, right? Hey, this is something you might care about. This is something that you might want to make a decision about. When it's connected online, uh, that's easy to do.
0: Well, it enhances what we do on a day-to-day basis. The way that I see probably the lowest hanging fruit is for those of us that are working with our customers with Legionella water plans, if they get a positive result and that positive result now triggers something that has to be done, you physically have to go out there and you have to do that thing. Well, if you got the controller that's monitoring ORP and you're able to log in that, as soon as you get that result, you can start that correction. And I, I think that's how you have to do it in New York City. I don't I don't think they can work any other way. But that's how I see that things like this enhance what we're able to do. We don't have to drop everything right now when we just learn some new information we can now better plan when is it the best time for me to go out to that location. And now I can actually test because something's been done. I'm not working off old information.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ability to ORP, I guess, slug feed your oxidizing or non-oxidizing biocide, I guess in this case, oxidizing biocide, but you can potentially remedy a high count, right? You, remotely, as long as you can feed that feed pump and hasn't lost prime, and you see that spike in your ORP value. Most people accept that as, as as sufficient data to say yes, that was a successful oxidant feed. We locked out the bleed relay for this much time. We got our ORP up to this value, and yeah, there's there's specs around that that prove that this slug and hold kind of method is is effective. So, yeah, that's just one of the many many ways that you can just make your day to day easier. So. I guess I just find it interesting that most people that I meet with will say, do you know anyone looking for work? And I think very few people are thinking about, how can I do more work with the same amount of headcount resources? What are other leverageable resources within my organization? I think everyone knows at the cost of hiring someone and training them and making them like, Getting them started up and firing on all cylinders in this niche market without any existing experience, I mean, it's hard. And even if you get someone with existing experience, it's kind of like, well, that's what your old company did, but our company does it this way. There's a lot of differences, right, in the way that everyone handles water treatment. I mean, chemistry is chemistry, but there's the, the Blackmore Enterprise way, right? You have a specific approach, a specific handle specific way of doing things. So it's unlikely that you just find someone out there who's already doing exactly what your business does. So anyway, the hiring and getting an efficient headcount is hard. And it seems like, and some people do this better than others, seems like people jump around, unfortunately, a little too much. And as a millennial, I'm probably guilty of that. I mean, you said, to your point, I used to be a direct pulse feeder employee the last time we spoke, and now I'm watermark. So I'm guilty to an extent as well, but um, I'm just trying to provide basically a perspective, provide basically an angle where people could potentially manage their business a little differently and try and be a little bit more efficient.
0: What are some other areas, maybe some low hanging fruit that people just don't think of that we could get a piece of control equipment to do for us?
1: In a nutshell, basically everyone's controller nowadays, they've got a model that can go online. It can send out alarm notifications. I I look at it two different ways. So there's alarm-driven instance notifications. That's the, I've got low ORP. I've got high conductivity. I'm in a flow switch alarm, but this is a process cooling system that shouldn't be in flow switch alarm, right? So there's alarm-driven stuff. And then there's, I guess, historical report stuff as well. I would say very few people are value selling their services based on the accuracy of their water treatment program. So in terms of low hanging fruit trace, I mean, I think a lot of people use IoT to maybe decrease the amount of man hours that you waste, decrease the, the labor commitment to a site. Because if I know ahead of time, right, that I've got Let's call it a high-conductivity alarm. I know I'll probably want to bring a new relay board for the controller in case the relay's gone bad. I'll I'll bring a new conductivity probe in case the probe is not measuring correctly. I'll I'll bring things to make sure I can recalibrate conductivity, and I might bring a new blowdown valve, right? I know ahead of time what's wrong, so I could probably fix it in one trip instead of going there, figuring out what I need to get, and then have another trip where I can fix it which is great. And I'm an advocate of, but I think there's also opportunity of upselling service and value selling your service. So when it comes to your annual review, hey, we're going to put this out to bid. We've got to shop this pricing, everything. Everyone's looking at pricing nowadays because pricing's just gone crazy. If you can give them, okay, great. Totally understand you need to shop. I just want to give you this report, this summary, just so you know, how well i've treated your systems so you know this was your conductivity set point this was your average range this is the percentage of time in which you were in control you know i've got a ptsa probe in this system and look how tightly controlled throughout the whole season i kept that this was a probe cleaning this was this like y- you've got all this data you can document it all and then instead of saying well we can drop your price if we only come every other month and then we'll just ship you chemicals and then we don't do as much testing like I get that angle, and I think that's the angle that some people are taking, some, some approaches, but data's there to be used however you want to use it. There's ways of saying, hey, look, this is my price. This is why this is my price, and look at my performance. Because everyone cares about price to performance. That's what gives you value. There's also the relationship piece, which is kind of hard to quantify, but if you're just looking at price performance for a value sell proposition, you can really justify the performance of your work with that data i'd say not enough people are leveraging that late i'm thinking back of a
0: customer that we had and we received an alarm from our controller that was online and it stated that our conductivity was dropping and on the controller you can just set it hey this is out of the normal control range probably not a big deal or you can make it okay this is becoming a bigger deal and okay this is a huge problem So it just alarmed us that something was off, but it wasn't off that much. So we called them, and we gave them three scenarios that could be going on with the conductivity being lower. One of them was the tower was overflowing. And sure enough, what happened was the float on the cooling tower valve had just fallen off, and it was just free-flowing. And that had dropped the conductivity enough for that first stage alarm they fixed it at 4:30 on a Friday. The only other way that they would notice that was at best Monday when they came back to work, and probably not Monday, probably the 3 weeks later when we were scheduled to service it. How much water did we save that customer?
1: Well, and now you have a lifelong customer as well. I mean that customer's not shopping for another contract for a long time because You have flexed your value. And I mean, how much extra does it cost to put the controller online? I don't know if you pay for a a cell modem or if you're able to connect it at the customer's location, but we're talking about pretty minimal cost adders to get equipment online. I think most people are trying to buy equipment that's at least cloud-capable, online-capable. But the number of people who actually connect it, actually get the modem, is smaller than I would hope. I mean, I spent months, years working on Pulsifeeders' online platform, making reporting tools and things like that. And it's like, okay, I know what it costs them to develop this. And I would anticipate, because I see a demand, I would anticipate a lot of usage on it. Beautiful reports, and they come out over email and a PDF. I mean, the functionality is cool. And then to put all that work in and see it underutilized is like, A little frustrating, I guess. So it's my little plea on just try it out. And, you know, there's different color boxes that you can hang on the wall. They've got similar functionality. Everyone's got their own little flair, right? Their own little take. I mean, that's how you gain market share. You don't want to be an apples to apples. You want to be a little different. But I stand by the blue platform. I I like Bolsa Feeder's cloud connectivity. I think it's implemented the exact way to be like a modern architecture. But, you know, I would be happy if just more people. Went online.
0: Do you have numbers on how many people bought controllers and actually put them online?
1: Yeah, so it depends because controllers are sold in a lot of different market verticals. Um, So it's hard to quantify exactly the AWT market space. But almost half of the controllers sold nowadays, it's probably closer to around 40%, are online capable. They're equipped with the right technology, or you can at least plug in a card to upgrade them to online functionality. There are a lot of lower-end controllers right now that don't quite have that functionality. You know, their budget, install it on a new contracting bid, rip it out one year later and put something with a little bit more horsepower behind it. But yeah, about 40%, 50% are online-capable sold today, and only 5% are actively connected in the busy season, right? Because I don't even factor in online controllers for like wintertime, typically, unless it's for a boiler application. But the bulk of controllers out there are typically open evaporative cooling loops in this market space. That's a lot lower than I would have thought. I would define this market space as a certainly at least techno-cautious, maybe borderlining uh, technophobic, Um, because, you know, if you look at adjacent market spaces and the, like, technology adoption curves, we don't adopt things quickly. And I think there's a mentality where it's like, well, we tried this before, and it didn't work, or there was an issue. And I'd say that there's a lot of long memories out there, where it's like, well, it didn't work 20 years ago, why is it going to work now? I'm like, the 20 years in the technology curve is a long, long, long time. I always love looking at, like, the Moore's Law math on processing power doubling and transistors getting smaller, and like I, I love comparing the the economics costs on processing power. They're like, oh, if the automobile industry had, you know, innovated at the, at the same rate as the semiconductor industry, cars would be like ten dollars and go like four hundred miles an hour. And they'd fly. They would fly, not as fast as the DeLorean, or as cool, but you know, I can see it on your shelf back there.
0: Yes, my my tribute to Back to the Future is right behind (laughs) me. What are some of the IoT, Internet of Things, success stories that you can
1: share? Well, I have a lot of those similar stories to you, Trace. The, hey, we saw a low-conductivity alarm. What's going on? Um, So most cooling tower controllers are only equipped with conductivity. But yeah, I've got a lot of the high and low-conductivity alarms. There's a few, you know, Passivation is a big deal, it's certainly when a tower is new and you're putting heat load on it. So one of the success stories is just partnering with with Evapco. I know Evapco are a friend of the show, right? You you like Evapco? You've been to their like R and D facility. I think you mentioned recently on Cooling Wednesday.
0: Yeah, they've been tremendous in in adding knowledge to the water treatment industry. They'll they'll think of something, they'll test it in their lab, and then they'll share it with the world
1: yeah so it's just great partnering with them they're They're a forward looking company they're trying to disrupt things, but I try and look at ways in which technology has augmented water treatment um so there's the success story kind of in New York where someone was able to crunch in this massive labor element when all that legislation came out in New York, the requirements were such that in New York City, you had to test every other day, conductivity, pH, ORP, temperature, I think, and uh, report that. So someone's physically going there and testing every other day, which is a massively high cadence. And most water treatment companies are not staffed to magically visit their accounts every other day. But there was a caveat in there that said, but if it's online, and you've got good values on there, then we will accept that. So daily measurements of what your online values were. there was like a subset. So that was a huge resource when on 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 a headcount just to augment them. And we partnered with a number of companies up there just to help them get through this transitionary period. You know the logistics of do we connect it with a modem? do we connect it with um through their network? So there were some you know school districts that went through their network and and things like that. So New York in general was a big win for the IoT movement in the water treatment market. The Evapco piece that I, I mentioned around their passivation solution is they call it, I think PassProtect is the name of this program that they have. They do an initial treatment in-house, prepping the metal for immediate heat load, but then they have to do a pretty tightly monitored in-field passivation as a, as a follow-up. They're able to put immediate heat load on there. So we we made them a a custom package, obviously monitors uh, pH, and uh, they do have a PTSA probe on there as well. And yeah, just being able to partner with them and try and figure out a solution, because it's all well and good to have probes, but synergizing the technology with the application, finding a solution that works. I work predominantly with Jamie Downey there, and yeah, he uses... These panels, they circulate throughout North America on new towers. And yeah, we've been able to successfully passivate like probably close to a hundred towers, and this this hasn't been out for, for very long. They they move around, they do their job, and as soon as that pH is out of range, they get notified and they can implement corrective measures because uh yeah, you don't want it out out of range for too long because that's a process you can really only get right one time. So that was cool as well. I like trying to make those kind of engineered solutions, tailored approach going into it. You have, this is what we're trying to accomplish. How do we do it? And you've got multiple kind of walks of knowledge coming into the the picture. Well, we have spent this conversation
0: talking about all the things that we can do to help our customers, to help us maybe it's a quality of life issue and we don't have to go somewhere to test every two days. We can actually utilize some technology. So lots of application to simply make our lives easier and to help our customers see the value that a professional water treater brings to the party, because now we have all these different data sets that we can share. But I know you don't stop there. You have probably the most connected house out of
1: anybody in the scaling up nation tell us about that any device that you can buy that connects to the internet i probably have i mean i i'm referenced in my presentation that i can unlock my door on stage right there i can get my vacuum to go around i've got one of those like lidar vacuums that maps my house and i can watch it move around in the house you know i've got a smart hot water heater that i can adjust remotely if i know that i'm going to be entertaining guests Cause it's only like a 50-gallon tank. If I know guests are coming over, I can switch it over to high-demand mode and actually bump up the temperature, because it mixes, right? It mixes with some cold water, so you can get more usage of hot water if it's in high-demand mode and the temperature set higher. So my washing machine will notify me when it's done, and i got to move the clothes from the washing machine to the dryer. So, Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of connected devices, and I like tinkering. I like playing with online connected devices. I mean, I understand the fundamentals of how devices communicate to the cloud what to do with the information when it's in the cloud how to store it how to access it how to send push notifications to your phone so it's a lot of like uh store bought stuff and then some like custom stuff that's only in my house that i just spent a weekend on creating So yeah i i lean a lot on technology and i guess i want to give that perspective because i'm not trying to say that if you're in if you don't have an online controller, you're mismanaging your company. you you got way way more fixed overhead than you could have. Like This is just one way. And I'm a technophilic person. I adopt technology. I use it almost to a fault, right? I think I got asked the question about security, too. Does this open up my water? I mean, these are valid concerns. If you do have concerns about that, I mean, check with your controller manufacturer, your local rep. Like, how do you do this So it's secure because everyone's architecture is a little different. Some people host websites on their controller that's the host website and to access it you have to log into the physical device. Some people have slave devices as the controller slave to the the internet and they merely report up and there's typically like an API protocol between the two so saying that this is the right approach for all systems I'm not intimately knowledgeable on exactly how every manufacturer made their equipment. So if you got a question about a blue pulse feeder controller, don't hesitate to reach out to me. But, you know, if you're using a different color box on the wall, ask those questions to the local rep. Make sure you get the right answer that you feel comfortable with because, yes, data security, making sure that you can't, I don't know, change a conductivity set point. I I think the whole, uh, was it the target data breach? Didn't that happen through someone's HVAC system? Someone got into that network? That was exactly where that came from. Yep. So I get the concern, but as a business, you're not expected to have that knowledge in-house, consult with someone who knows cybersecurity, right? And do your due diligence to, to execute on best business practices. And yeah, I mean, there is an ROI on this equipment. There is a way to save and Augment and more efficiently run your business with, with some of this data. And I'm excited to see where the industry goes overall. But yeah, I'm one side of that spectrum, an early adopter to a fault. But uh, there's something here. There's something powerful. There's something that can really impact the industry and make, make things better and more efficient. I feel that to my core. But yeah, I'd dip a toe, try it out, figure out what works figure out the best business practice around it, then make the decision that works for you and your business, I guess is my my message.
0: It's a great message. It's great advice. And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of phone calls because people are thinking, maybe I don't need to do this the same way I've always done it. How do I make my life a little bit easier? How do I use some of the tools that are already out there and available to us?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the control equipment is really only one piece of it. I mentioned service reporting as well. I think nowadays a lot of people's businesses, at least a portion of them, is within the cloud. So, I mean, if you have, like, QuickBooks Online, if you have some kind of ERP system, most people will have a server of some kind. And it's interesting what you can do once you start integrating these different data sets, So it's all well and good to know that there's a system upset somewhere. But let's say you've got a fleet management software and you've got GPS on your cars. Well, now I know that there's a system upset. I know where that controller's located. I know where my vehicles are. I may have inventory tracking on my cars themselves. So it's like, it's great to have the data. And I think a lot of people are in this data storing mode. I mean, many of the big water treatment companies are just creating these data repositories, right? They don't even know what they're going to do with this data. But they know collecting it, having that data, will enable them to power future decisions. And I think that's what's super cool, because if I've got level sensors on the site, let's say, and that's stored on the controller, and that's beamed up to the cloud, well, I also know my costs associated with that, So I can integrate that with QuickBooks and figure out how much inventory I have stored there. Maybe if I do my own blending, that can then drive what my next production batch looks like. I know what my inventory levels are, and maybe that triggers a buy on some raw materials if I'm doing my own inventory. And I can deploy the guy that's closest to that facility because this one's critical. This is a critical process. It's a big customer. I need to resolve this now. So I don't care where that guy's going right now. That was a routine service visit. He can be three hours late for that, and he can turn fix the issue quickly, it's just about getting all of this data, centralizing it, which is easier said than done. Like, Don't get me wrong. Everything's got its own API. You probably need to build a little dashboard, but, but people are playing with this. The, the, the more forward-thinking companies in our market space have been collecting this data. They've got more and more data sets to pull from. Very few of them have synergized this into a platform that can drive their business better, but there's tons of resources out there. You don't have to go and hire a really expensive software person to integrate this platform. I mean, I've referenced in our mastermind group a few times before that this, this Power Automate platform that Microsoft have. I don't even know if I can drop brand names on your show, so I apologize. But, you know, there's tools that take some of the programming complexity out of this and they automate things, and they make them a little bit more intuitive and user-friendly. You can create like flow charts within Power Automate that trigger based on one condition or another condition. So I'm just, I'm a geek at heart. I can't wait to see what people will use these data sets for because I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg. I hope we're only at the tip of the iceberg because uh, it's all about maximizing efficiency. You know, if, if you can accomplish the same amount of work you know, let's say a lot of people are working like 50-hour weeks. I know that's pretty common, especially in our busy season. If you could do the same amount of work in a true 40-hour week? Of course.
0: Lots of things to think about, Leif. Again, I think that there are people out there that are doing this, and you've just bolstered their position to why they're doing it. But I'm willing to believe that there's more people out there that need to hear this and figure out how they can start utilizing the tools that are available so they can shave a little bit of time. And maybe it's not 10 hours off the week. Maybe it's an hour, but hey, that's an hour. That's huge. Layla, I'm looking at my notes. The last time I asked you lightning round questions was about three years ago. So I've got some new ones for you if you're ready. I'm ready. Here we go. What would you say your superpower is?
1: I guess in this market, it's perspective. It sounds like a weird answer, but um, I guess I just look at things differently. I've got that bias that I mentioned that's always equipment concentric, but that's, uh, I'd argue, a superpower in this marketplace. Um, I, I, I look at problems, and I figure out a different solution than what's conventional. What would you say is your proudest moment? That's got to be my the birth of my daughter, to be honest. That's just, uh, that's an experience. It's not something you can compare anything to. But uh, yeah, I have a two-going-on three-year-old girl. I've got a 10-going-on 11 boy. Holding a newborn child is something special. You know they're going to do it. When they finally
0: make a statue of you, what does the plaque on the bottom say?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's just, uh, he tried his best probably what it'll say. There you go.
0: You can't ask for anything more, right? My last question, if you had the ability to change anything in the world,
1: what would it be? I I think everything's fundamental on on education, uh, personally. All of today's problems could be solved with just more knowledge and education. You know, we talk about Sanitation issues in third world countries. You talk about clean water in third world countries. And I commend people that give money to that cause. But I think the true approach is educating that population on good practices around those. And and it could be true with any issue, right? You take any issue, if I could wave a wand, I'd just dump this massive set of knowledge to the people that need it. And I think you'd wake up with a completely different world.
0: Well, and I think you've started that on today's podcast, definitely a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. And I think you're going to start changing people's minds that saw something 20 years ago, and maybe it didn't work then, but a lot of changes have happened within those 20 years. Laith, thank you so much for coming
1: back on Scaling Up H2O. Thanks for the invite, Trace. It's, it's always a pleasure. And I, and I mean it sincerely. If anyone has questions, I'm not a, I'm not like, I know I'm in sales, but I'm not a pressure sales guy. If I can help you, if you're thinking about something that you want to do, I may not be the right person for that, but I'll probably know where to steer you to as well. So open invite to the Scaling Up Nation just to reach out.
0: Scale Nation, I have been a fan of Lath Charles since I met him years ago. He reminds me of how I positioned myself, and I don't want to say how many years ago that was, but I remember being very young, entering the AWT community, not knowing people, and seeing other people that had knowledge that I really wanted. And I would ask people... Could I work with you? Could you mentor me? How can we forge a relationship where I could get some of that knowledge, but at the same time, too, I'm giving you something that you need? And I've had many of my mentors on this podcast. If you don't have a mentor, and I don't care how old you are, if you don't have somebody that you can speak with, that can give you advice, that can give you another point of view. I really think that you are missing out. Now, maybe you're somebody that has a mentor, but you don't have a mentee. So if you're going to take, you very well better give as well. And I think when you have a spirit of giving, the taking just comes naturally. People want to give it to you. You don't even have to take but there is so much involved, there's so much that you are going to get out of sharing what you know and sharing how you help other people that you are going to be amazed at what that experience will do for you. And Lathe has always put himself into a position where he could get to know the people that could help him along his journey. So great job, Laid. It is no surprise that you were the first recipient of the Rising Star Award. And as I said, us in the Rising Tide Mastermind, we were so proud that one of our own received that very first award. And when I read what that award is for or who that award is for on our interview, it might as well have just had Laid's name engraved right on who we're looking for for nominees. So if you know somebody that fits that mold, by all means, go to the AWT website and you can submit a nominee for the next time they present that award. Speaking of the AWT, the next convention is going to be in Vancouver, So we're going to Canada, and folks, that is a beautiful city. You are going to love it. I know a lot of people are wondering about travel, what they have to do to get there. Well, I will tell you, if you are crossing over a border, you need a passport. And there's so many out there that don't realize I was one of these people, We were going on a scuba dive trip to the Bahamas, and my passport expired three months after we were returning. Well, I'm fine, right? No big deal. I'm well within the expiration date. In fact, I was not fine. Luckily, a friend of mine told me about this, and I had enough time to fix it. But your passport needs to be valid at least six months after you return from your trip. So get your passports out. Make sure that you've got at least six months after you will be returning. And if your passport does expire within that time frame, don't wait go ahead and send that off now because it is taking longer than ever to get those passports back. So that's one thing you can do to prepare for next year. We're gonna be having tips and things to learn about the convention. So stay tuned to the Scaling Up h 20 podcast so we can share those with you. And then I mentioned the Mastermind, the Rising Tide Mastermind. Lathe was one of our founding members. We started two groups. Where those two groups are going into their third year And I am just so incredibly impressed with all of the things that we do in the Rising Tide Mastermind. You know, a lot of people give me credit for what happens in the Rising Tide Mastermind. I might have started those groups, but the people that are members within the Rising Tide Mastermind definitely make it what it is day to day. Now, I know you expect for me to tell you it's the best Thing ever, and I really think it is, but I want you to hear that life is too difficult for you to do it alone. And I don't know if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you, but I hope you will look into it. I hope you will look into a group to join if you are not a member of a group already where you can process issues where you don't have to go through things alone, where you have a list of dozens of people that you will call and they will take your call because you think they might have knowledge that you need access to. They might have experience that you need access to. Folks, if you do not have something like that, I urge you to please look in to getting one. Hopefully, it's the Rising Tide Mastermind. And if you think it is, I'd love to have a conversation with you to see if you are right for the group as well as the group is right for you. And of course, if you want to learn more, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Also, during the interview, Laith mentioned the focus funnel that comes directly from a book that we were reading in the Mastermind called Procrastinate on Purpose. Well, the author of that book, his name is Rory Vaden. And as luck would have it, the Scaling Up Nation is going to hear from him next week. We're going to hear all about the focus funnel and what procrastinate on purpose means from the author himself. Folks, I hope you join me next week where I'll be talking with Rory Vaden. Until then, have a great week, folks. Scale Nation, life is too short to do it alone. And that's why I have been in a mastermind for over a decade. It's why I started the Rising Tide Mastermind and it's why the rising tide mastermind is so successful you do not need to face your problems alone you don't need to face your issues alone you can learn from others experiences so you don't have to repeat their mistakes and you can get further faster because others are giving you a hand to find out more go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the right group for you.